From KWCH 12 Eyewitness News, this is a Campaign 2020 Candidate Forum. And welcome to our Candidate Forum here in the race for U.S. House District 4. The house seat that does cover South Central Kansas, including Wichita. I'm Michael Schwanke with KWCH 12 Eyewitness News. Joined tonight again by Tom Shine from KMUW Radio. Welcome back to the studio, Thank Tom. You, Mike. Tom, glad to have you here, as well as his listeners. Our candidates tonight. Let's meet them. Republican incumbent Ron Estes and Democratic challenger Laura Lombard. We will start with opening statements from each candidate. Then we'll get into the questions, alternating who answers first each time. At the end, each candidate will get a closing statement. So we drew numbers at random to see who will start tonight. We begin with Congressman Ron Estes. Thank you to KWCH for hosting this tonight. I'm Ron Estes. I'm a fifth generation Kansan. I grew up on a family farm in rural Kansas where my mom still lives today. This year, our nation has seen unprecedented challenges affecting the way our, we send our kids to school, go buy groceries and go to work. But through it all, we've been amazed with the incredible American uh, spirit and ingenuity. Earlier this year, Congress was able to pass in a bipartisan fashion, four pieces okay. of legislation that enabled us to fund and establish virus uh, vaccine developments, testing, uh, unpres uh, additional funding for unemployment, as well as uh, paid leave and the Paycheck Protection Program. And through it all, we were able to help make sure that we focused on restoring our way of life and making sure that we defeated the virus. I'm looking forward to discussing things tonight and look forward to uh, talking about the issues with you. Thank you. Thank you, Laura Lombard, your opening statement. Well, good evening. Thank you first to uh, KWCH and KMUW for hosting this event tonight. My name is Laura Lombard. I am also a fifth generation Kansan, grew up right here in Wichita. I uh, started off my career doing international business with the Cohen Group, the a group started by Secretary of Defense William Cohen. And then I started working on my own business consulting, helping small to medium-sized companies that were interested in exporting abroad. More recently, I consulted for the Clean Energy Business Council here in Kansas and helped with a workforce development company. I'm running because I have a son um, who is about to turn one, and I'm very concerned about his future. I am running it because I'm concerned about all of our future. This year has been an unprecedented year. We have dealt with the coronavirus. We have had um, mass protests across the country. We have had um, an economic, uh, economic situation that has hurt all of us. And I think that we need to make sure that we are focused on the solutions that are really gonna help us get out of these different challenges. Thank you. We'll get to the questions. We begin tonight with the big development of the day as President Trump calls off negotiations on another stimulus until after the election. Do you think it's fair to make American individuals and businesses who are struggling right now wait until after the election for potential relief? Congressman Estes. Well, I, I, am, uh, I wasn't expecting the announcement that President to be made, but I really wasn't expecting any agreement to be made before the election. In fact, I've been telling folks that for the last week or so. Uh, one of the problems that we've had is that Speaker Pelosi's not taking the negotiations seriously. Uh, she proposed this bill uh, that she called the HEROES Act, uh, which basically had a lot of wish lists uh, like the Green New Deal and, and bailing out uh, union pensions. Uh, but really, when we've talked about serious reform, like how do we expand the Paycheck Protection Program? You know, right now there's $138 billion that's already been authorized that we just 
uh, companies ran out of time to apply for and we wanted to expand that and she won't even allow us to bring that bill to the floor and we wish we could do some of those things to help make sure that uh, we did get some benefit for folks that are struggling. Thank you Ms. Lombard. Your response? Nancy Pelosi in, in the House of, of Representatives um, did pass the HEROES bill. So at this point, the HEROES bill is, or the HEROES Act is now on the desk of Mitch McConnell. So for my opponent to blame uh, the, the Democrats within the House is ridiculous. They need to come back with their plan. It's a negotiation. The House has brought their plan forward. They've sent it to the Senate. And now it's time for the, for the Senate to do their job and send it back. Regarding President Trump, I think he is now holding our entire nation hostage. Our people need help today, not four weeks from now, not eight weeks from now. It needs to happen today. Thank you. Our next question, also dealing with the economy, from KMUW's Tom Sean. The aviation industry plays an important role in the Wichita area economy. We've seen significant struggles in that sector, first with the grounding of the Boeing 737 MAX and now the impact of the pandemic. What needs to be done to help aviation recover? Ms. Lombard. First and foremost, I think that what we need to do is, is um, help our aviation companies with, um, with being able to help their, their employees stay, um, stay employed with them. Um, Congressman Estes is likely to talk about his uh, manufacturing aviation bill, the jobs bill, which is in face of it a good idea, except for the fact that it's only 25% of um, the employees of these, of these aviation companies. It needs to be more, and the other piece of it is that the aviation companies themselves need to have some oversight as to who they're keeping. We need to make sure that our, our employees here in Wichita are able to stay and be employed. Thank you, Congressman Estes. So we, as you said, the, uh, the aviation industry has been drastically hit this year, first starting with the 737 MAX and, and then the COVID uh, situation. We've played an active role working with the air capital commitment uh, to help focus on first addressing some of the uh, 737 MAX issues and then focusing more on, on the impact from COVID and, the, and a, a shutdown related to that. As, as uh, my opponent mentioned, uh, my bill, Aviation Manufacturing uh, Jobs Protection Act, co-introduced with uh, a Democrat, Rick Larson, who's the chairman of the Aviation Subcommittee of the Transportation Information uh, Infrastructure Committee, uh, is something that we're working on together. We've got union support to help make that bill work so that we can help keep people employed uh, and keep that skilled workforce here. Thank you. Next question. The coronavirus has had a significant impact on the lives of everyone, and now we've seen it directly impact the White House with the president, uh, first lady, others getting sick. What impact do you see this having or should it have on the federal coronavirus response? Back to you, Congressman Estes. I think one of the things we need to, to make sure that we, we keep in mind is that throughout this process, the, the virus is here. I mean, we're gonna to continue to have people that are impacted. And although we wanna be prudent, we wanna wear masks when it's appropriate. Uh, we wanna make sure that if we're sick, you stay home. Uh, and we wanna wash our hands and, and make sure that uh, we're taking care of ourselves. Uh, but the, the standpoint of thinking that the, the virus is gonna go away, uh, it, it continues to have an impact and it will continue to impact individuals. Uh, just like the flu virus does every year in terms of being a, a continuous in, uh, infection opportunity. So I think one of the things we need to do is make sure that, that we address uh, the relief packages we've talked about. Uh, for example, moving programs like the, the Paycheck Protection Program to, to help individuals who are still struggling. Thank you, Ms. Lombard, your response. You would hope that the events of this last week would make the, the president um, take the coronavirus much more seriously and actually really enact a national response. That's what we need. We need a coherent response from our national level, not just putting it down to the states, but making sure that 
um, from, this, from the federal level, we have um, enough testing going on that we have um, a, a national mandate for masks. Those are the types of things that we really need to see leadership from the, the federal government, particularly coming out of the White House. And we need Congress, Congress uh, representatives to, um, to really be enforcing that as well. That is what I would like to see from the national level, and that's the response I wish I had seen from the president, rather than him saying, oh, don't worry about it, it's not a big deal, you don't have to be afraid. No, we need to take this seriously, and we need to make sure that, that it, the national response is, is coherent um, and is going to really help. Our next question from KNUW's Tom Shine. Tom? In Kansas, from public mask requirements and capacity limits to nothing at all, different communities have had different actions to slow the spread of COVID-19. What role should the federal government have in mandating certain types of behavior to protect the public health? Ms. Lombard. So similarly to what I said in the last question, I do think that the federal government needs to make a national mandate until we are through, through the, the worst of this crisis. It is true that this is likely to be a disease that's going to be with us for, for a very long time, but once we can get a vaccination and people can take that on a regular basis every year like we do with the flu, then the mask mandates won't be necessary anymore. Until then, it is extraordinarily important that we protect, protect each other um, from this disease and do everything that we can, whether it's social distancing, wearing our masks, uh, trying to work from home whenever possible, those types of things. Thank you. Congressman Estes, your response. Well, the federal government has done an incredible job already this year uh, with the four different bills that we've passed to, to actually expedite the development of the vaccine, provide more money for testing, provide money to make sure that uh, people could uh, get additional unemployment if they were unemployed, and the Paycheck Protection Program, which was such a successful job to help keep employers connected with their employees so that they're ready to go back to work. I'm not a supporter of a federal one-size-fits-all mandate for masks. Uh, because what we've seen in Kansas is when our governor tried to do a statewide uh, ban is that it just doesn't apply. The things in Wichita are much different than the things in Kiowa County and, and we need to make sure that we're appropriately addressing the, the relevance of, of the local community that we're in. We need to make sure that we're still safe in terms of our behavior that we're following. Work continues toward developing a coronavirus vaccine, but already surveys show some are skeptical of taking it once it is out and approved. So once it's developed, do you think workplaces should be allowed to require you to get a vaccine, much like vaccines are required for schools? Back to you, Congressman Estes. So I, I'm, not a, I'm not an advocate that we should mandate a vaccine. Uh, that's, that's one of those things that uh, we, we, we don't wanna overreach with the federal government as authority. Obviously, we as all as individuals have responsibility to make sure that we're, we're taking care of ourselves, that we're appropriate in terms of what we do. Uh, with that said, I'm confident of the work that we're doing with the vaccine development. Operation Warp Speed, which is the program that we funded at the federal level, is expediting and prepaying uh, drug companies to develop those vaccines, helping them go through the process faster. And, and actually, when we get to the phase three trials at some of those uh, drug companies, uh, we're actually start paying to start some manufacturing, knowing that there's a slight risk that some of them won't pass the phase three trials, but still we're able to get a vaccine developed and, and available for more people. Thank you, Ms. Lombard, your response. I also think that we shouldn't mandate that all companies, um, I think that should be an individual choice for each company to decide what their policy is going to be and, and what they want to see in their, in their workplace. Uh, I, I think that for schools it makes a lot of sense um, that it should be mandated. And in general, I would, I would implore the public to, once, once the vaccine is out, to really consider taking it and making sure that you're protecting yourself and again, you're also protecting your communities as well. In the wake of high-profile deaths like Breonna Taylor and George Floyd, 
We've seen new calls to reform law enforcement and the justice system. Do you believe our current system is equitable? And if not, what needs to change? Ms. Lombard, we begin with you. Sure. No, I, I don't think that the current system is equitable. I do believe that the vast majority of our police officers go to work every day wanting to make sure that they are serving and protecting our communities. However, there are, there are some problems. We're seeing that on a regular basis in this country that unfortunately our, uh, our black community and people of color um, are harmed more frequently. And there, there's a systemic reason behind that. We need to make sure um, that our police are trained in community policing. We need to make sure that they're trained in de-escalation and in anti-discrimination. I think that's gonna go a long way in helping, um, helping it within some of the problems that we have within our, our police systems. Also though, there's a culture too of protecting um, our fellow police, which I understand in terms of it's, it's a, it is a protective. However, we also need to make sure that when we're protecting, we're also not enabling um, those who are doing harm to others needlessly. Thank you, Congressman Estes, your response. I think the entire nation was horrified at the, the terrific death of, of uh, George Floyd. And uh, we, we shouldn't have that. I mean, we shouldn't have individuals who behave improperly to be a part of our police force. And our, our, our law enforcement officers are by far and away uh, great and they want to do their job well. They don't want bad law enforcement officers either. One of the bills I've sponsored was the Justice Act that actually work on how do we make sure that uh, officers have funding, that they go through training, that they have uh, body cameras, and make sure that, that we can address some of these issues to, to move forward with that. You know, we, we need to make sure that as a country uh, that we can focus that everybody has uh, liberty and freedom to behave uh, the way they want to uh, across the country and live their lives uh, the way we all enjoy. Thank you, Congressman Estes. This one goes right back to you. Voters in at least five more states this November will decide on whether to adopt new medical or recreational marijuana laws, joining 33 others that have already legalized medical cannabis and 11 recreational. Where do you stand on its expansion, either at a state or federal level? So I, I'm not a big advocate that we're ready to start uh, expanding uh, marijuana laws within Kansas. I know there's a lot of other states that are starting to do that. That's one of the great things about our democracy is that we have a lot of states to be pilots and that we can see those different type programs. And, and one of the things that uh, I'm keeping my eye on is, granted in, in a lot of the states and, and Colorado being one of the first ones, you know, talks about the tax revenue that they brought in. And, and that's, that's a great thing, but we also need to talk about what's the additional law enforcement cost, uh, what's the additional homelessness and the crime rates that, that have occurred along with that. With that said, uh, it does appear that there's some, some benefits uh, from some of the CBD and the treatments there, and that might be some of those areas that we need to look at. Uh, how can we get some of those benefits uh, moving forward and, and, and enjoy those across the country? Thank you. Ms. Lombard, your response. I am for both the state and the federal for legalizing marijuana as a whole, uh, both medical and recreational. I think that our state in particular could use the revenue, particularly after the brownback years that my opponent um, was a part of and, and uh, really hurt our economy. I think we could use that revenue. I also think that if we, if we regulate it from the federal level, um, we can put more rules around it too that will keep people safer and, and address some of the issues that uh, my opponent has, has raised tonight. We can do that from the federal level. So yes, I'm very much a, a proponent of the idea of us legalizing um, cannabis, both, both statewide and federally. Thank you, Ms. Lombard. This will go right back to you. With um, people out of work right now, many are struggling to get health care. So how do you ensure better access to affordable health care for all Kansans, including those who are working and those who are unemployed? 
Yeah, um, so one of the main things with healthcare that we have to do in this country is decouple healthcare from employment. That, that has to be a priority. We know now after the coronavirus, that as, as we've had millions of people lose their healthcare, that they've also or lost their jobs, they've also lost their healthcare at the same time. That has to stop. We need to, at the very least, create a public option that people can buy into. Um, and at best, I do think that we should move over time into a universal health care program that would cover all of, our, all of our citizens with affordable, accessible health care. And then we wouldn't have to worry about the major bankruptcies that we see in this country. We have, right now, uh, two-thirds of our, all of our bankruptcies in this country are based off of uh, health care bills. That's 500,000 families every year that goes into bankruptcy because of our healthcare system. So we must make sure that, that it is affordable and accessible to everybody. Congressman Estes, your response. One of the things we focused on as we went through the process in, in terms of making sure that we provided coronavirus relief was that we made sure that people could stay uh, employed longer uh, with the Paycheck Protection Program. So that so many employers use that as an avenue to maintain the, the healthcare coverage for their employees. One of the things we've seen through that is the provisions that were set up in the Patient Protection Affordable Care Act, which President Obama called Obamacare, uh, that it failed in the things that it was supposed to do. It was supposed to lower uh, premium costs, and it didn't for each family. It was supposed to allow you to keep your same doctor, and it didn't. It was supposed to allow you to uh, keep your same health insurance, and it didn't. So one of the things we need to do is make sure that we have choices and options for uh, people to pick from, uh, which is one of the things they don't get now in, under Obamacare. Thank you. Congressman Estes, we've heard a lot of rhetoric when it comes to mail-in voting, uh, particularly from the White House. Do you support absentee or mail-in voting, and, and how do you ensure voters uh, that they can trust, trust those results? So let's make sure we differentiate what we're talking about. There's a difference between absentee voting and mail-in voting. We've had absentee voting in Kansas for years, uh, which includes mailing in your ballot or includes coming uh, in person uh, to a site before election day. And, but that's a process where uh, the voter uh, requests the ballot to be sent to them and that they have to certify that they're the person who's, who's attesting the ballot. And if someone delivers the ballot to, to the election office for them, that that person also uh, swears under oath, under an affidavit, uh, that they are uh, legitimately bringing that ballot in uh, for that process. That's different than the random mail-in ballots that we've seen in so many states where ballots were just being mailed to everybody that was listed on the voter rolls, uh, whether they've done purging of the rolls or not. So there, let's make sure we differentiate between those two topics. Thank you. Ms. Lombard, your response? Mail-in ballots are safe in this state, and they're safe across the country. The proof of, of, of vast uh, voter fraud within this country has never really been proven. In, this, in our state, our own Secretary of State has, has um, confirmed more than once that mail-in ballot is going to be safe this year. My advice to everyone is create a plan. If you want to do mail-in ballots, that's perfectly safe. If you want to go to the polls early, that's wonderful. If you want to take your absentee ballot or your mail-in ballot to one of the um, drop-offs, that's great too, or go on the day of the election. Just make a plan for yourself. And all of this rhetoric around mail-in balloting being, uh, being unsafe or um, fraudulent is just ridiculous. Okay. Next question will come from Tom Shine. You'll have 30 seconds on this question. President Trump has not committed to a peaceful transition of power after Election Day should he lose in November, citing concerns over possible election fraud. How do you interpret the president's statements? Ms. Lombard. 
so he's already saying that there's election fraud before the election has already happened. <laughs> that to me is a big signal that uh, the president is trying to create a situation where should he lose legitimately, that he can take it to the courts and try to steal the election in the end. We need to make sure that he doesn't do that. And again, I will repeat, please make your plan to go vote, vote early, make sure that you're um, getting, your, getting your ballots in as soon as you can. Don't let the president steal this, steal this election. Don't let it happen. Congressman Estes, your response? So there's no concern that if President Trump were, were to lose election that we'd have a peaceful transition. However, I don't think he's going to lose the election. I think he'll be reelected as president. You know, one of the things I think he's concerned about is the discussion that Hillary Clinton and, and Joe Biden have had about uh, not conceding if they were determined that they, they lost election. And that's, that's the piece when you talk through with this election, the way it's gone, uh, the number of different ballot changes, the number of efforts that's being made by so many groups. You want to make sure that uh, there is integrity, which we've had for over 200 years in the United States. Thank you. Uh, President Trump's made progress on trade in some areas, including the new North American Trade Agreement. Uh, there continue to be struggles, though, when it comes to China. What needs to happen to resolve some of those issues and fully reopen that market to Kansas products? Congressman Estes. So, pr president Trump was the first president, uh, Democrat or Republican, to address the cheating that China, China was doing on our trade agreements. And so it's been important that they've stepped up and, and that he's focused on China uh, addressing the issues that they're doing wrong. Uh, obviously, what China's done is they know that they, they've got an advantage that way. Uh, they've actually uh, put retaliatory tariffs on, which had major impact on a lot of our manufacturers and certainly on our farmers as well. Uh, but the farmers I talk to, the manufacturers I talk to, uh, know that they want to make sure that we get through this process, that we make sure that uh, China does agree and conform with agreements that they've uh, signed up for and, and focus so that they operate within the World Trade Organization and the organizations that help make sure that we have free and fair trade, which is so important for the world. Ms. Lombard, your response? I am all for us being tough on China, but I'm not for us being as tough on our farmers and our manufacturers to get there. My background is in international trade, and I know that there are a lot of tools that we can, can be used in order to make sure that China uh, conforms with the, with the trade rules that we'd like them to. I'll give a quick example. We're always concerned, rightly so, that, that Chinese companies are stealing our intellectual property. Instead of using tariffs, I would go after that individual company. We can sanction them. We cannot allow them to, uh, to do business in the United States. There are a lot of tools that you could do to signal both to that company that's violating, but also to the country as a whole, that it's not going to have the same kind of backlash on us as we're seeing right now over these last couple of years with, with um, Donald Trump's trade war. We are ready for our candidates' closing statements tonight. We go in reverse order from the opening. We begin with Laura Lombard. Thank you again to KWCH and KMUW and to all of you for tuning in tonight to hear our thoughts on, on the major issues of today. As we know, 2020 has been a, a really difficult year for us all. And I look forward to really fighting for all of us, not just those that are at corporate interest, but all of us Kansans across the, the district to make sure that we are, we are going to get through this, uh, this year <laughs> and all of these challenges that we've seen. I would really like to create and I envision a future for Kansas that involves really strong public schools starting with pre-K. I'm looking for uh, really helping us with affordable health care, upgrading our infrastructure to make sure that we are really launching our economy um, into the 21st century in a much stronger way. And most importantly, I want to make sure that we have jobs here in the 4th District that are going to allow our families dignity and security for years to come. Again, my name is Laura Lombard. 
I look forward to being your representative and I hope you'll vote for me on November 3rd. Thanks so much. Thank you. Congressman Estes, your closing statement. It's been my honor to represent Kansas for the last three and a half years. Although we've faced several challenges in 2020, not too long ago we had a booming economy, wages were rising, and unemployment rates were at historic lows for all Americans. Unfortunately, there's too much partisanship and division in our nation's capital. But I've worked with Republicans and Democrats to get things done. I helped ensure the passage of USMCA, which provided options for farmers and ranchers and encouraged more manufacturing jobs in Kansas. I worked with my colleagues to help expand the rural broadband with money and assistance already flowing into Kansas. Uh, we worked together to help uh, lower drug prices and to address uh, uh, surprise medical billing. And my Aviation Manufacturing Jobs Protection Act will help make sure we keep our skilled workforce right here in central Kansas. I'm looking forward to continuing our efforts to deliver results for you and, and your family. And I look forward to feeding the virus and I ask for your vote on or before November 3rd. Thank you for joining us for this candidate forum. Again, thank you to our candidates for Congress, Ron Estes and Laura Lombard. Again, thank you to Tom Shine with KMUW Radio uh, in these unusual times where we have plexiglass hanging between the candidates. Again, thank you for joining us. This has been a campaign 2020 candidate forum.